I'm jumping back to 2005 here, which is basically the year that um, it all started. Well, the year they started putting it in my face and sticking it to me. Um, who exactly? Like I said, I'm not knocking on anybody's door so I can give you a, um, a rough guess. Um, basically, lots of different security organisations. Um, I have to go straight out and say that would I tell you everything about 2005 I came to the conclusion that I think they wanted me to kill myself um, and then I have to say that there was a, like I said in the last episode there's another team that um, that was trying to prevent me from doing that by the looks of it but at the end of it it's like a complete head fuck um, but I really enjoyed it to be honest there was an epic fail on their behalf because obviously 15 years later I'm still here and I'm gonna I'm gonna make fun of them about it um, just a little just a little all right all right so I'm not gonna um, go too personal on it um, in regards to the people around me at the time um, I'll just um, skim over a few incidents and when and where they happened and then I'll have a think about who um, who gets away with that or who even dreams about doing stuff like that and I mean, I'm sure you'll have a think about it afterwards as well. Who really does stuff like that? Uh, you come to the conclusion. I mean, I came to the conclusion that's just that's not right at all. So there was an incident in the beginning of 2005 or the middle of 2005, April. Um, I'll come back to that because further down the line I'm going to start talking to you about um, when and why I saw ghosts and further down the line in April 2005 I actually saw a ghost and I shit myself um, I rang my friend the next morning and I was like I was like, oh, I just saw a ghost I saw a ghost and uh, actually like, I shit myself at the time the next morning I was a bit shaken up by it so Half this stuff, I'm going to tell you this, and um, um, I, don't, I don't even care whether anyone believes me or not. I really do not care. And that will apply to something else, which I'll move on to further down the line. And I can sort of gauge reactions, or I can guess what your reaction would be, or whatever. I don't believe you, and I'm like, at this point, I am. F off pal I have to tell somebody that so whatever your consideration is is not important um, so 2005 kind of starts with a small incident and next thing I know the, the cops and the local community was all over me this was October beginning of October and 
of one thing and another and I ended up in an airport in um, in Birmingham airport and I wanted to get away for a few days so at this point I'm sort of dubious of my friends um, whether they're planning to show me that they're gangsters or not I don't know I don't care um, I think that's what they were that's what they were were trying to do um, and um, end up in Dublin airport there's another incident I mean, there's just people are motioning around me, behaving around me, um, in a manner designed for me to see their behaviour, which is um, out of the blue, and um, and not conventional. It's out of the blue, and it's not conventional. So I'll give you an example. Um, um, I'm in Dublin Airport one night, and. Well, I only went away for two nights and there's a lunatic with a bald head running around with a backpack and he's um, he's throwing it all over the place. This is at like three in the morning. Then there's two big heavy blokes who sort of got close to me and followed me around a little bit and made that kind of obvious. And so all these things is um, unconventional behaviour designed for me to see and directed specifically for me to see from where I'm sitting. Um, I'll just jump forward to another thing, um, which is some some bloke walking around Birmingham Airport and um, he starts flashing his hands, um, closing his fist and opening them really, really wide, spreading his fingers, um, doing that every second. He did it about five or six times. And... Um, I think I've designed for me to see. Obviously, he showed me it was designed for me to see because then he took a walk past where I was getting my car fixed um, 18 months later. The exact same person. Um, so I jumped back to Dublin Airport and um, anyway, after a after some <laughs> dodgy characters turned up and uh, some other strange things, um, I get in, I get into the plane at the airport, and um, it's either Martin McGuinness, um, who was actually the head of Sinn Fein at the time, um, allegedly a former IRA commander of the Derry Brigade, um, is sitting in front of me on the plane, and. Uh, it's either him or, or his dead ringer. So I have to consider that at that point. But if it wasn't him and it was just his dead ringer or his lookalike, um, they've designed it to make me really, really think that it's him because then I got on the plane and so I'm sitting on the plane and then some Asian person next to me has handed a paper to me or trying to get me to write on a piece of paper. I mean, I've just got knocked about in Dublin airport or in Dublin. I got to a hotel the first night I got there after, like I said, the police and local people have jumped all over me, like, not physically, they've like, let, let me know they're aware of me or or make me think you're about to get nicked, pal. Um, and uh, so I've just, I'm going away for a couple of days and you stop me at the airport if you want, but you didn't. Um, so obviously they wanted to follow me and uh, follow me to Dublin and uh, play their games. Um... 
which eventually felt like way too far and real out of hand. And as again, I've come to the, come to the conclusion as you will, is that it's not right or it wasn't right. So before Martin McGinnis or as a lookalike turned up, um, I uh, I got to the airport in Dublin after getting through Birmingham, and um, where someone has walked out of the the departure lounge with a bag on his shoulder in Birmingham. This I was going through to get the plane looking real shifty and weird and a dodgy old bag and everything so I mean he's trying to make me think that he's just stole someone's drugs at the airport that's what I think are you really trying to make me think that um anyway um got to Dublin just went straight to the hotel didn't go anywhere uh, had a point at the hotel um it's just a small little quaint place just um just about a couple of miles from the airport That night, I'm pretty sure someone cocked a gun outside the window, so if it wasn't actually a gun, or if it was a replica or what, I don't know. But the noise was designed to be the same. So then I get, I'll skip forward back to getting on the plane, back to Birmingham, where some Asian person is handing me, um, or sitting next to me, we're one seat apart, and he's trying to hand me a piece of paper and a pen, and written behind it is government contracts um, awarded on... That was written on um, a newspaper. That was the page, the headline on the newspaper with his piece of paper and his pen underneath it. And Mike McGuinness is sitting in front. So I just pushed him off, turned my shoulder and didn't say anything and stared out the window. So then I got to... Um, um, so that was like weird, but they would have known I'd been shaken up because they were already... Obviously, I was followed and people would have done that to me. So... Um, at that point, and I've been up all night, so I'm just like, um, I'm exhausted, and I just want to be left alone and get away and get home. Um, so we get off the plane. Martin McGuinness lookalike is in front of me, or if it is him, <laughs> anyway, I'll just call him Martin McGuinness and stop, stop with that now. Um, and as he walks through the, the gate to leave, the baggage reclaim baggage, I mean I wasn't reclaiming baggage and he wasn't either, two big blokes, he's turned around, he's took a look at me and two big blokes are standing either side of him which look like government officials or um, people in a high up police division or something, um, both wearing suit and tie and whatever else um, and they've turned around and walked off and so that was that. So I'm waiting for a friend to come pick me up and he was like, uh, you wait a few hours. Uh, I'll be there in an hour or two or whatever else and that. And So I'm completely dubious of him at this point. Um, so I'm waiting anyway. I've seen that guy flashing his hands, which was designed for, I think designed for me. So obviously I saw him again 18 months later. And then um, about an hour after that, so I went to get a pint anyway, it was about 10 in the morning, which I don't really ever do that, but I just, felt like I was, I just wanted to have a pint. And um, so the barman says, oh, you're only half full yet or something like that. So I don't know whether he was um, asked to antagonise me a little bit or not, I'm not sure. Um, but that's what I sort of started having to 
consider as I go about my daily life from that point onwards, to be honest. Um, and then anyway, I'm going into the toilet. I'm already on my toes. Like this, it was weird. Like it was, um, it was um, definitely like knocked me about a bit. Like what the? I was I started like what the fuck is going on? And um, there was already an incident a couple of days before um, where someone had followed me up the motorway and the police stopped the whole motorway and basically allowed me to drive on once this person had caught up right by my side and I didn't know them, I knew who they were I knew like I nearly had a run in with them a few weeks before I think they were connected to um, a drug dealer, Ward who used to play for Birmingham City but I can't be sure I mean, um, but I think that's what I heard and um, so that had happened a couple of days before um, one of my so-called friends yeah he, who was dubious of, he'd set that up basically or motioned me to take a drive somewhere and then this happened so I was going to take that drive just because I was curious because why well, you motioned me to do that okay let's see what's what um, and then um, uh, that was it so strange things have been happening I was like what the fuck is going on here and um the um then I was on my toes anyway, I knew something was up, so I've gotten into the toilet, I've took a real quick squirt, and um I'm at the front, I'm back out at the door, like really quick, so I knew something was going on, and uh, this bloke is coming um marching into the toilet, all pumped up. He wasn't that big of a bloke, he's probably about the same size as me and same weight and everything, although I've probably been a little heavier. Um but He's coming, running into the toilet, and um, he pumped up. You tell like uh, he was maybe going to try and get me when um, when my back turned. I was taking a taking a squirt, and uh, but then he seen me. I seen him at the door, so I saw that's how I saw how pumped he was. He was. He looked like really, really angry, and um, he had a bit of a he had a bit of pace to his walk. And I've got there, I've got to the front door, and he's like it startled him. He startled back a little bit. And uh, so then I'm like up on the, the balcony. So I had to style this out a little bit. And I was dressed like a complete scruff because um, <laughs> the, my so-called friend didn't um, didn't bring uh, bring me a bag of clothes like I asked him to. Um, so um, I'm walking around the balcony then and I'm like peering my nose, looking down, styling it out like uh, someone just warned me you were going to do that and where's your help? And uh, anyway, so then I get out of the airport, and uh, um, I got home that night, and um, something, something else, just that doesn't happen happened. But regards to that person that looked like he was running the toilet to catch me when I was taking, taking a whiz. Um, I actually saw him outside the physiotherapist where I was getting my back fixed um, five years later and prior to that um, prior to that I'd actually seen my um, who's now my brother's wife walk in out of the um, out of the um, the leisure centre so 
whether that was planned in conjunction or again, whether these people all kept separately and, um, and don't know who each other's are or whatever, blah, blah. Um, and why did I have to see that person again waiting outside the, um, the leisure center when I'm going to get my back fixed? Um, so that's just, that one, that was in 2010. And, um, that's just part of the process over a number of years, um, whereby, um, designed to, at that point, I mean, I don't think you, they knew they were never going to get, get the suicide, although they really went for it for the latter past of 2005. Um, but again, it's just to cause you distress and, um, um, again, it, it was completely unconventional, that behaviour, or whether now for these people as they behave like that, behaving like that throughout their lives is conventional to them. You'll have to ask them. back from Dublin and um, late afternoon um, the person who had rented a room in my uh, in my apartment to um, specifically I'm pretty sure 99% sure specifically was told to move a knife into a um, into a noticeable position the largest knife available probably about 14 inches or something um, was actually moved to one side of the counter which was nowhere near where the knife would be which would usually be near the sink on one side of the on one side of the worktop I'd leave my um, I'd leave letters and a small little filing drawer and the red folder and it was moved and placed on top of the red folder which is unhygienic to begin with, I mean, if the knife had been used and then left on top of the red folder over where my letters are, um, well, it was never left there ever again. It was never left there before, so I'll say I'm 99% sure. Whether he was asked to do that specifically or thought of doing that himself, I don't know. Either way, it was um, designed um, to put me out. And it did put me out a bit because um, um, later that evening, <laughs> the same so-called friend um, turns up at my house with um, a load of letters, a few bits and bobs that I left in his car after he picked me up from the airport and made me wait for a couple of hours. Um, turns up in amongst these things that I left in his car and a few things that I didn't leave in his car. And one thing in particular was a menu from the small town in Durham where my sister had just moved to university and um, it was a pizza menu and underlined was the lettering seven inch so anyway i didn't get too bent out of shape um trying to take in all the other stuff that just happened which it was really hard to kind of take it in like you don't realize you've got to process that uh, take that in it's just uh it's just like it's um it's a head fuck and at the end of it like years later yeah i really enjoyed it or even one year later um 
I actually enjoyed it. Um, but it was hard at the time. I struggled on occasions. There were some days where like you'd struggle. Like, and then there's some days where I really didn't give a fuck. Um, and then other things come up. Well, that was in the short term. That was over the next few weeks because um, then everything progressed a little further. That was in the short term. Although that always like really, really did bother me. But then, I mean, something else came up years later. Um, which makes you think, yeah, maybe they did go for the suicide again a few years later. Um, but I get round to that. I get round to that. Um, so let's try and get better. See, I'm really bad for jumping around because I got so many things to consider. Um, I get back to um, back to just after that menu. So not really happened. Nothing really happens. Not going to work. Um, out on the piss a little bit and uh, sort of wary of, of, of everyone at that point but not making it too obvious I was just happy to have a few drinks and try and um, try and um, get back to normal a little bit but then I wasn't doing much I wasn't too busy with work and a mate starts ringing his boxing in, in um, in America and uh, I went up to see a Man United League Cup game actually with my cousin and his mate and my mate's boxing in America he was ringing at the time and he was going to go to Boston I'd lived in Boston he was looking for a, uh, someone's number so that all came through I'm just recalling how that all came about at that point and um, the end of it I ended up missing his fight and actually I said I wasn't going to go and then I thought oh go on I've known him since we were 12 or 13 and we had a few nights out together we had a holiday together and that um, I don't think we really really hit it off but we'd have a, we'd had, had a good laugh here and there and I got along probably better with some of his mates than him but me and him had a laugh here and there we've known each other since we were kids and that and came from kind of similar backgrounds um so i thought at the end of it i thought yeah go on i, I, I wouldn't mind actually spending um i would actually then i thought yeah you know what i do want to get away and then i i'll be all right with um with him for a few days see how it goes and that I had a few friends from living in Australia for a year from Philadelphia. They were all from Northern Ireland, and um, I had um, I had them that I could go and visit as well. So um, so there was that, and then um, there was the girls in Boston who we'd stayed with for a week or two. Um, so all in all. Um, I thought it'd be um, probably be a half decent trip, so end up going, get into the plane, and then the next character turns up. So the next character is about a two hundred and twenty pound big black marine coming back from Iraq. So I'm sitting, I'm walking down the aisle to get on the plane. 
I've seen this bloke sitting on the oil and uh, he's like smirking, <laughs> proper smirking. He's sitting in my seat against the window and it's uh, just, uh, he's on his way back um, after one year on tour, he's on his way back to take his break. So I'm, what the fuck do I need to see one more character? Uh, no, no, I just to get me out. I just wanted to get out of there like, for um for whatever it was, five days or whatever it was. And uh, I haven't been on day in like a year and a half, I don't think, because I just bought an apartment. And um, so anyway, I got there and he's like, so "Am I sitting in your seat?" And he's like, "He was already smirking, so he knows you're sitting in my seat." And um. So he swapped seats or whatever, and um, so shook his hand out. All right, how you doing, Steve? And then uh, pulls out his badge out from his neck. He's like, uh, blah, blah, um, United States Marine Corps. I said, oh. Um, he said, uh, um, however we got around to it, oh, however he came out. Anyway, he said, yeah, I'm just flying back from Iraq for my holiday. So I said, in Iraq? I said, well, how long have you been in? And he's like, can't remember the ins and outs of it all or whatever. So I said, what's that like? And straight away, said, it sucks. And then for the rest of the trip, he just got drunk sitting next to me. So we chatted a little bit here and there. And, um, but basically just put the earplugs in and um, just saw through the trip and all that. And then got to America, landed down. Um, battery died, just managed to make a phone call to to my mate who was in New Jersey at the time. So I got a taxi from Philadelphia out to New Jersey to meet him. The one thing that stands out from the plane, or remember from the plane, there was this other kid sitting next to him. So he ended up, he didn't get the window seat, the window seat was mine. He ended up sitting in the middle, <laughs> and this other kid who was from America, and the one thing that kind of stands out is he got his iPod out and then he got his iPod out and um, um, the, oh what iPod you got oh what iPod you got uh, it was like that stands out just a little bit for something that, that happens that happens after that I don't know if I get round to that in this section but maybe the next one or maybe the next episode so I'll meet Matthew uh, me mate and then um, we're up to Boston he went to do some something at college some college in Trenton in New Jersey um, and then we're down to Philadelphia so we're up and down to three or four places over a space of three or four days oh we're in New York we went to we went to a fight as well Kazim was fighting and John Doddy was fighting and then after that We've ended up at um, a Hunger Strikers commemoration. Um, it was all Irish dancing, and there was a lot of people around and whatever else, and that it was pretty busy. And uh, I knew it was a hunger. It wasn't like mentioned as a Hunger Strikers commemoration, or whether the banner of um, the names of all the uh, 1981 Hunger Strikers is is left in that hall permanently. I don't know. But we've ended up there, and um, I recognise the name straight away from the books that I read. So that's knocked me about a bit, um, because I've basically just seen Martin McGuinness and then I end up at a, a Hunger Strikers commemoration. Um, 
Then I think I met a Red Indian in a bar down in Boston. And after that, um, I'm trying to think, did anything else happen on the way around from that? Oh, yeah, yeah. Some red-headed bloke who looked like someone I recognised is walking around my taxi with his hand in a paper bag, whether trying to make out like it's a gun or something. <laughs> I'm laughing about it now at the time. I didn't think you ain't got a gun in that bag anyway, you tit. But uh, at times, like, what the fuck is this? So I think I get back to um, Heathrow. And then everything amps up again. So a day or two later, um, a day or two later, yeah, some some other stuff did happen there. Um, that was the first time I saw these stars, and I'm walking down the street with me mate, um, who had known from Australia, and. Um, my back was in agony. I don't know whether it was the way I slept or whatever. This was like, it filmed me back. Like, it was like nearly jerking. I was like having spasms in my back. Actually, I had bad, bad problems when I was in Boston. I think it was from using the stilts plastering. So, anyway, however, I slept away with that. And I'm seeing these stars and I'm telling him, and I think I was getting sick. And this was in the morning, about 11 o'clock. And, uh, no, I don't think I got sick, but um, um, I think it was just my back was just in agony, and uh, I says, "Oi, Dave," I said, "I'm walking down the street, like I was a little bit out of it, a little bit hungover, whatever else, and that." Went, I'm seeing stars, <laughs> and that was the first time I saw them. So I got back to Heathrow, made my way home, and what stands out specifically is some person walking around my apartment block, shaved head, and he's wearing a distinct suit and tie. And um, at that point, I just wanted to get away from everyone, so I was um, I was going to Ireland, so I was fucking about. It. I was a little bit out of it. Started telling them, well, I'm going to Africa, see you later. I'm going to build a big mud hut, see you in a bit, blah. And uh, I was just going straight to Ireland, and I just wanted to get away from everyone for a week or two. And I think about five days after I got back from America, I was going back to the airport, getting on a plane. Um, the woman at the counter said something really, um, she said thank you in a really, really strange way. Um, that got to me a little bit. So I'm getting on a plane. I've got to step back here. Hold on, I've got to add something to that. Um, to get to the next point. Yeah, I think I've got to add it here. Hold on. Right, so um, after I got back 
from Philadelphia land at Heathrow. I mentioned that person walking around the apartment building that evening, um, wearing a tie, that's significant. Prior to that, I was walking through Birmingham, right, all right, hold on, yeah, i got to throw this in. I was walking through Birmingham and um, going to Starbucks on the Sunday morning afterwards, going to Starbucks, going to grab a coffee, I'm in the cafe. So someone, shirt and tie, sitting beside, you know, comes in the queue behind me and shouts out, Brown's advisor. All right, so there's that. Um, so I just walk off. Um, actually jumped out of the queue and just left. Well, whatever. Um, then I'm taking a walk around the city. I'm just coming around by the ball ring, walking down to... I ended up walking down to Digbeth, that was it, I met the two people, they were walking with a pram. Um, they were kind of nice and just uh, being polite and they wanted to know where the custard factory was, so I said, I'll walk down there here, I'll show you. So I'm walking down, chatting to him, chatting for a minute and uh, the lady did something strange with the pram when she saw a black bloke walking up through the, uh, big massive black dude walking up through the car park, she like put a pram in front of him, so I was like, what, alright, this is weird again. Um, as if she's going to like block him with his with her baby or something, and um, so walking down and I was chatting to him, I said, "Oh, we're in the Ministry of Defence," and so we're walking off. So the custom factory's right down there. How long have you been following me? And uh, he's like stuck his head back or whatever. So I mean, I've never met these people never before. Probably never see him again. So it's not a big deal. Um, I'm going to throw it in after the, the crap people are giving me. I don't care. I don't see you. I don't know who you are. Um, and so I get round to buy the Dubliner, grab a taxi, and some bloke comes running around the corner like he's just seen a ghost. And uh, I just get in a taxi and leave. And then a couple of days later, after the person wearing his shirt and tie around the building, I'm off to Ireland. Just want to get away from everyone for a week. I was thinking at the time, end up being like three weeks, I think. Um, I get to I get to Dublin Airport. And I was really pissed off, and um, I've got to throw this other bit in here now. Uh, hold on. Hold on, i got to just think this through for a second. I got back home after being in Birmingham Airport. Oh, sorry, I got back home after being in Birmingham, after the person in Starbucks queue. And... Um, so I felt a little um, a little pressure there. I just felt a little, like a weight come over me. Uh, so I just sat down and um, I'm sitting trying to relax. There's something I mentioned there and, I mean, that's going to come to the point where I have an episode and we go to the spirit world. But uh, not today. So we'll go to the, um, we'll go to the digital world here. Um I get home and so I'm sitting relaxing. I'm looking at my iPad, which is the old third generation iPad. Um, and across the screen, which is the old like black and white screen or gray, gray cream color background with just black writing on it. There's no pictures, there's nothing else on it. And across my screen comes, um, we got them, they're all dead. So that was a little bit shocking. So, I, I mean, I'm taking that in here and there. Well, you're not taking that in. You just have to just consider that someone's just 
communicated a message to you on your iPod, which you don't expect to be linked up to anything because you at that point you didn't connect iPods to well actually maybe you could connect them to Wi-Fi I don't know I wasn't even that that much of a tech geek to be honest with you um, I think you used to have to actually hook up your iPod with wires to, to a computer to download songs I don't know if you could hook them all up through Wi-Fi at that point in time I'm not sure but that's what I saw so that sunk in over a few days at one point over the next couple of days, after I got to Dublin Airport, I left my passport on a plane and I was a little pissed off. So the guard come over, the policeman in Ireland come over and um, he like took an abrupt tone with me. wasn't helpful at all. I took a took an abrupt tone with me, like as if um, as if he knew nothing. Now, after everything that had just happened, and Mike McGuinness turning up or somebody proposing his lookalike, um, that annoyed me. So I got a little sharp with him. I half shouted at him. Um, and uh, I told him to go and get my go and get my passport. It's in this seat in the pocket of the airport. And then um, I didn't know what to do at that point. I mean, I was just hanging around a little bit, so I hung around the airport for a bit. And then he come back and give me another bollockin. I tried to get. Well, then he gave me his bollockin, um, and I just wanted to be left alone. I just needed like to get away from where I was, need some space, and need to think. Um, the first time I had that encounter with that. Uh, that guard then a bloke comes walking past who's wearing exactly the same tie as the person who was outside my apartment building in Hall Green, Birmingham and now I'm in Dublin and there's a different bloke wearing the same tie walking past us and he's looking at me so I've eyeballed him out of it and I passed Karen at this point that's when I gave the guard a mouthful so the guard got his own back at that point later in the day this was at about 10 o'clock at night so later in the next day well I started at the beginning of the day so I'm at the airport for a few hours, it's the middle of the night, like four or five or something, or three or four, and I make my way down to the bus station in Dublin. Again, I'm at the bus station in Dublin. Some person, some bloke in a, a grey trench coat, as I've walked down the stairs, goes to the toilet in Dublin, um, in the bus area station. He's gone right up my ass and fallen, and I've gone, I've walked right behind me all the way down to the toilet. So I stopped turning around, oi, what are you doing? Why are you following me like that? And he's walked off into a cubicle. So I'm going back up the stairs. Anyway, I've just got out of there. I actually bought a ticket to get on a bus to one place and I ended up going to another place. And then here's where the person who's in the Thai Brigade might have got his own back later in the day. I got to Gawi Airport and on the television screen, um, there's um, Tony Blair's on the TV talking, blah, blah. We don't know what this person wants, and he's trying to get the whole commons laughing or whatever. And flashing across on breaking news is... On breaking news is... Um, there's uh, an assassination attempt on Jerry Adams, or there's a death threat um, being given to Jerry Adams or something. Um, so I've stood and stared at that for a minute. And uh, so I've had to start processing all of that. And I've just seen Mark, Martin McGuinness, whatever, that wasn't a coincidence, ending up at a hall where the hunger strikers thing was, where there was a bloke with us called Ron who was something to do with the English cricket team. Um, so 
I mean, anyone who spoke to him would have known we were there and there was the hunger strikers banner up, whether it was just for that occasion or whether it's up permanently, I don't know. And then I got these people following me to Dublin, don't know who they are, so that's why I perhaps say MI5 or MI6 or something, which they could have been on top of me because that Marine turned up, or possibly they requested that Marine to sit there and, and turn up um, just to motion my movements or to mo just to provoke um, a different reaction from me or, or coerce a reaction from me so that they could actually follow me to another country and do that, which is what I have to consider after everything. And then my friend who's in there, uh, who... Um, who worked there at the time said, Steve, come with me. And we ended up chatting. I was in shock, to be honest with you. Everything. I think I'd been in shock for a while. It was all, it was just, it knocks you about a bit and you just, um, nothing's cohesive. And uh, so definitely in shock at that point after everything. Because there was another person at that airport who I hadn't seen before. Um, but he started faffing around. And he said that Steve, go to hospital and just take stock of everything that's just happened. In a roundabout way, that's what he said. And uh, so that's what I did. So then, I was in hospital. Um, and uh, just on a ward actually taking that on there's a little garden on the water so i spent most of my days just walking around the garden and actually taking that in um they've just done that or possibly coerce my movements i'm not sure if they know about the thing on the ipod or if they didn't or if or exactly who who it was so i can't be 100 percent certain exactly who it was and do they know about it? and if they don't but that side um that's just caused that event on tv which was huge at the time and the impact of the first thing there was huge but then later over the years um as i've gone about my daily life there's been more connections to instances and things on television and possibly do they do that to a number of other people or whatever. But at that time, in those circumstances, in that situation, that was, uh, I think, really, really designed to try and make me um, make me suicidal, as if that event was caused because of me or that event is something to do with you, which, is, um, which would actually put 90% of people in shock, given given I was 24 or 25, I'd just turned 25, I think. And these characters are coming out of nowhere and screwing with you completely. So I, that aside, I couldn't be sure who did what or whatever, but then I was in Dublin airport and I tried to just give away my iPod because I don't want to see that. I don't want to see someone telling me that someone's going to get killed over I'm not sure what about. I don't want to see it again so I think I was in shock even at that point which was before that so I tried to give away my iPod. 
So I know the place is all camera up. They've seen me in there before, which is why I was pissed off with the guard because I mean, how the fuck did Martin McGuinness know I was there? Anyway. Uh, after everything, I mean, you can take every theory, expand around every theory and try and consider someone's motions or someone's, um, try and consider someone else's endeavors at this point for this reason or whatever reason. There's, there's hundreds of, um, there's hundreds of things you can consider. But at that point, I mean, I think some old Polish guy with a, with one big, huge bag, and I've actually actually given it to him. So that's probably gone up. So um, I was kind of glad of that because if anyone didn't know anything about um, somebody communicating to me on iPad, on my iPad, it wasn't even mine actually. I borrowed it off a friend. If anyone didn't know that at that point, but that'll that'll bring up a clue because I was probably being watched on the security cameras at that point almost definitely especially on a night shift when um, no one's in the airport they wouldn't have had anybody else to watch um, and then the Polish guy ended up coming back about two hours later and giving it me back <laughs> uh, but anyway that was in and I was pretty glad of that because um, that's going to bring up something and someone's going to have to suss something there so that could save my ass for a little while Um because that was well, that just brings something up. And it was, uh, there's a note of something there which light, which um, which gives weight to to that claim specifically. So yeah, and then um, um, so I'm sitting in hospital um, for about uh, for, for a week or first, and then for a couple of weeks after. Um, I went in to see a couple of doctors, whatever, there's a couple of different doctors speaking to me and that here and there. And then the one thing that stands out actually is two um, younger Asian girls just laughing their heads off the whole time. So I don't know what that was about. So that's that to that point, And we are at about, I'll tell you what, I got out, I discharged myself, I think about two and a half weeks later. But, um, We'll come back to that um, at another point. So I'm at about the end of the end of November in 2005. The one last thing uh, I have to consider about what I saw on TV um, at that point at the airport is that that could have been possibly pre-recorded and just placed into that airport also. So just in, I mean that didn't. That didn't escape my mind at the time. 